0: Okay. Four seven two one, left not let us intercept the The Alienation Version 2.0 I am Dan This is episode 258 Most of the gang's here this week Nick, Justin, Sage Yes Dappin' Where the hell's Jesse at?
1: I have no idea For real Yeah, what is Jesse doing? Because this is Thanksgiving week Football games We all found a way to do it He's at a football
2: game Oh Oh,
0: Okay What he's doing?
2: Yeah, probably Oh, he's a loser. Wow. <laughs> just, just
1: we're opening the show with that. I'm just there you go.
0: Gonna, just gonna lay it out there. Just gonna throw that Sorry, out there. Sorry, bro. Just throw it out there for your consumption. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um. The he made an announcement. Are, are we clear to talk about it? I'm assuming so. He put it on no, Facebook. I mean, right? it was
1: on Facebook, dude. Yeah.
0: So yeah, Jesse's uh, f- little uh, family unit is going to be growing by one. Oh yeah! Here in about what six months?
1: Yep. Yep. Oh, June. Uh, June is what they said. Oh, what a great <laughs> you guys! baby Salmonson. Oh shit, man! That's a, that's fantastic. Okay, Nick, you you think he's ready?
0: Huh?
2: You think he's ready? Uh, I have no doubt that they're ready. But knowing his family and her family, it's like the three or four additional ones that are gonna just come no 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 hold on hold on we're we're
1: obviously not on the same wavelength here i wasn't talking at all about like being ready for like a kid or a family i was talking about being ready to give up
2: all that he loves oh in the (laughs) hobby
0: (laughs) yeah um he's got to carve that out He's got to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, he does.
1: He does. He, he will figure it out. I'm just giving you a hard time, Jesse. He'll make it work. <laughs> and it's sort of the pot calling the kettle black because I'm three weeks away from mine popping out.
0: Yeah, no kidding, right? When you how about you, Nick? <laughs> when are you guys gonna have another? Yeah. <laughs>
3: nope. <laughs> and Sage? Sage? Uh no plans here. Uh,
1: Dan. I don't no, I don't anything. have any
0: plans. No.
1: Big country lovin's not, uh, <laughs> not not in the not market been making any babies.
0: <laughs> I tell you, you have to do. You have to, this whole marriage thing. The whole concept of marriage is so arcane and foreign to me. It just doesn't. It just doesn't jive. So that's not. That's just not a. That's not a reality in Dan's world.
2: I so, think it's the okay. most wonderful thing in the whole entire world. There
0: you go. And I am not reading from a script. <laughs> <laughs> I am not pre-programmed to say this. Oh, wow. Well. So what's going on, guys? Anything new and exciting happening this week? You know, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm, you guys have I'm good going. Thanksgiving?
1: I'm going first. I'm not even going to let you finish. I'm too excited. I flew. Uh-oh.
2: Damn it. You flew. What?
1: Wow. What is this flying you I'm, speak I, of? I think I'm lying right now.
0: I can't be certain.
1: Yeah, is it's there video been, evidence of this? It's, I know. <laughs>
0: it's been so long. We need so, someone to, from your club to sign off on this.
1: Yeah. It's it's um it it was only a little bit. I flew a little bit during lunch this last week while it was actually sprinkling um at 60 acres and then got a little bit of flying in in a football field down the road from me, actually kind of close to the same school that I typically fly my smaller helis uh in at the baseball field. Wait, and
3: so- the Yes, go he ahead. Flew not once, but multiple times. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yes,
1: of Shh. course. Yeah. Four total flights. Like the first four in the uh, it's not even worth attempting so long to long guess. Yeah. yeah, it's like <laughs> it, it's just let's start at zero. The counter's been reset. Four <laughs> flights this year. Um, so this wow. was on the goblin speed. After, you know, we had talked the last couple of episodes about screwing around with getting that kind of 3D eyes, um, you know, it's still in phase one. I don't have all the upgrades that I want. It was pretty bare bones, but I'm like, screw it. I don't care. Um, I needed to make sure I was able to get some testing going on the axon, which at this point is somewhat moot because uh, Bavarian Demon did an awesome job of releasing it to the team about two or three weeks before it actually got released to the general public. And so you can go and buy one right now. And chances are, if you have, you have more experience on it than I do. (laughs) Nice. So we'll put that out there. Um, I will say, however, that it is a surprisingly fantastic system. Now, surprisingly should not be taken negative. I I wasn't expecting it to be crappy, but I also wasn't expecting it to be almost uh, like not needing to be tuned on default settings. That's pretty spectacular. So, you know, the one thing that these guys really wanted to do, and they've said it now, at least internally to the team for a while, is that they were tired of screwing around with all these advanced things where people had to go and fine tune crap um they you know talked to people who flew other flybarless systems that uh you know had complaints here or there not saying they you know they didn't like what they flew but nothing's perfect and a common complaint was I just want to fly I'm I'm over the whole tuning thing give me something that's there for 95% of the pilots and I think they nailed it uh you know I I had to do a little bit of tuning on head and tail just to make it feel the way I want it to feel but there were no weirdnesses no ill tendencies uh it just kind of did its thing and it's consistent with the reports I've been getting from fellow teammates like J.C. Zankel and Heiko Fisher and those guys who can fly way harder than I can. They barely do anything at all. So uh, really cool. I'm excited about it. I have not touched the governor yet because I know that's the next thing people are going to ask. Uh, but um, it was kind of nice to just shake the rust and dust off and do a little bit of what this hobby is all about <laughs> <laughs> sorry um, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh no i mean it's okay you can laugh i'm i'm uh i'm owning it it is what it is so yeah uh that that was pretty cool and then of course you know i i don't know whether we're planning on talking about this or not but i'm gonna kick it off anyway we're recording on black friday right oh, yeah which you is excited? like one of the greatest Heli holidays in the world used Used to be be, yeah and and i'm not gonna push it too hard because i know nick gets really sensitive about keeping people at walmart until like 1 a.m it's stupid uh, on a holiday and so that's okay i did not partake nick i was not in one of those lines well it's not over yet it isn't and cyber monday is coming and i'll tell you something for the first time ever since Black Friday, Heli Day was a part of my life, I didn't actually purchase anything. Wow. But what I did do is plan out the next several purchases
2: Pfft, for this, for today. And then you're going to replan your plan tomorrow. And then. Nope,
1: nope, nope, no. no. no, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. I've thought this through, I've talked it through with various people. I got it nailed here. Okay. So here it is. Are you ready? We've been talking about lightweight shit. Logo 700, 690, Black Thunder, blah, 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 blah. Now get ready for the gasp moment. I am going to buy, it's not out yet, pre-order, a Gowie X7 FZ. The new stick pack version. Yeah. Okay. I kind of knew that. You, you kind of did, I know. Here's why. I'm going to tell you. For one, the FZ fixed really the only thing that I didn't like about the Gowie X7 before, which was the saddle packs. Can't stand saddle packs. It's a personal thing. I know a lot of people like them, but, you know, not me. Uh, plus, all my shit is in stick pack configuration anyway, and it's, you know, um, everything's common with connectors, so I can swap pa- any, any heli that it's a stick pack, I can just swap packs out. So that's a convenience thing. Uh, the other thing I I think I had in my head as being um, a problem was its weight. And as, as it turns out, having done a little bit of research and talked to JC, the ones that are heavy, like the 12 plus pounds, are the ones where people put in these monstrous motors and, you know, 160 to 200 amp ESCs. Flying seven twenties, blah 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 blah, not necessary. Uh, if you remember, what I'm shooting for is somewhere between twelve and eighteen hundred RPM, slow, quiet, you know, long flight times. And so JC did a little bit of weighing for me, and he in his FZ, which he's flying right now, with a Castle one hundred and sixty, uh, Scorpion forty five twenty five. 4,200 12S packs and a 1,600 milliamp hour receiver pack comes in at 11.4 pounds. Uh, And if I then switch to a Hobbywing 130 and go with a 4035 series motor, get rid of the receiver pack, I think I'll get it down to 11 pounds flat, ready to fly on 42 to 44 hundreds or I can plus it up to five thousands to get a little bit extra time and still be under 11 and a half pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I think that's what I want to do. A because it is sexy as hell. I love the camp. I still can't still. get over how sexy that hell he is. And B I want to stick with the NX seven and see if I can actually master it. Um, no, I'm no, not no, gonna...
2: no, 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 stop. You were doing okay. like really good. I was way on board until you threw out that master word. Mm-mm. Let me
1: explain. Let me explain. I don't mean master it in the sense that you mean. I mean get it to the point where we'll it flies. Stay in the
4: air. <laughs> where it flies.
1: Yes. Yep. Get it to the point where it's flyable. At least reasonably consistently. And then put it on the shelf and leave it there until I feel like flying Nitro or tweaking around with a Nitro. Um, I, I mean, it shares parts. A large portion of the parts are shared between the X7 and the NX7. So I think that's a big deal. Gowie parts are reasonably priced, right? hmm And uh, with the second kid coming along, you know, Nick and I, we've been talking about this behind closed doors, but I have come to the realization that I have to adjust my hobby. And it's going to be adjusted away from what it has always been uh, necessarily. And I don't think it'll ever go back because I just have less time or the need to, you know, focus on more quality time, few and far between. So I'm going to get away from the impulsive everything has to be this minute and try to get back to or get, I never was there, get to uh, just kind of going with the flow. I got enough helis now where if one is not flying well, or I don't feel like flying it, then I'm going to put it aside and I'm not going to force myself to go out to the field to live up to some arbitrary pressure that I put on myself to go and, you know, get a certain number of flights in. I'm just going to go and do my thing and enjoy it. And I think this is part of that next step. Mm. Profound, huh? Well,
0: what are, I, your, what are the chances?
1: I I don't. What do you mean? What are the chances
0: of, of you succeeding in that endeavor?
1: You know, if it's anything like the rest of the hobby, um, <laughs> probably zero. But like Nick said, I don't really have a choice. So I can either fight it and keep trying to make it like it used to be or I can adapt. And that's what we're doing.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a it's a pretty brutal reality. I brought up when we were discussing, you know, why he, he put out this big list. Okay, which one? This, this, or this? And I gave him an answer and he was like, well, that's about the last thing that I thought you would have said. And I, I think in your situation, it's... It's just a reality. You are going to have more tinker time than you are flying time. Yes. Period. I mean, end of story. It will always now be aired on the tinker time side. Um, so And
1: realistically, the 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 majority of the flying time I will get in, just you know, putting it out there honestly, is gonna be speed practice. Cause I do mm-hmm. want to continue to compete. So the three D is going to be just uh Hey, got a, got an hour run out to the field, get some three D in, come back tinker
2: or on a cruddy day. Yeah. You know, yeah. if the weather's really bad, if it's, if it's shitty cloudy outside or something like that and you're like, ah, I don't know, man, it's pretty dark for flying speed. Then, you know, have something else. And that's why I kind of told him, I said, you know, I, I think this is a good idea, uh, I would keep the nitro because, but it's only a nitro, in my opinion, is all about the attitude that comes along with it. If you're going to depend on it and you're going to rely on it, plan to hate it. Because that, to me, that's not when it's enjoyable. You know, there are days when I go out to the field and all I want to do is just fly. It's like I put that first flight in. And you can tell that I just got this,
4: oh, yeah, man, this
2: feels great. And then, you know what? You, I, <laughs> the mistake would be made would be to grab the nitro on that day because that's a bad idea for me. I just keep banging out those flights until I don't feel like flying anymore. But, Dan, I know you can relate to this. Have you ever been had those days at the field where, You are really happy to be there, but you're not necessarily dying to fly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where you're just like, God, the weather's nice. Like, this is just great. Well, you know what? To me, that's where the nitro is. I'm not, you know, I feel like enjoying the day, and I feel like tinkering a little bit. Yeah, sure, I'll put the nitro up in the air. And that way, if something, you know, if it's not, quite bright. I can tweak and tune on it a little bit. And if I feel like kind of brainlessly flying, because when I'm tuning, I'm, I'm definitely brainlessly flying, same maneuver over and over that sort of thing or same, you know, half a dozen maneuvers. But yeah, then if it doesn't work, pff, dude, set it right back on the shelf and worry about it when you can tinker with it in your tinker time and go back to flying something else. Exactly. It's all an attitude thing. But man, the day that I, you want a guaranteed recipe for a disaster for me, it's just bring the nitro to the field, dude. No. Yeah. I'll just bring the nitro
1: here. to the field. And as you're going, say, I am going to figure this bitch out. Yeah. No. Then it's over. It's you over. Might, you yeah. might as well just run it over with your car.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: Nope. Yeah. Yeah. I never so, had that issue when I do it when I was doing nitro, and I loved them, and they just flew.
2: Yeah, because I, well, yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of the. To me, that's that's kind of the advantage of taking an an older model that you know the ins and outs of with an older engine that is tried and true and you know you know you just you know the problems that you're going to have and
0: it's so why not go that route well i think that is
1: exactly the route i'm going key to this is that turek engine is going away i have two DXs. Or or th- i'm sorry 3ds's sorry i'm going back to the 91 3ds plain and simple Does anyone want a Turek engine? Let me know. Yeah, but
0: you're you're trying out a brand new airframe.
1: No, I'm not trying out a brand new airframe. Dude, the 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 Gowie NX7 is a great model. It flew fine when the engine let me fly it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that model. It's all the shit tacular engine.
2: Yeah, and like for me now, I'm I'm at that point now with the Nitro. But I mean, you know, when it came out, we were fighting all sorts of weird little issues here and there and motor and this and it was just like wow way, way, way too much stuff. Too too much new stuff all at once. So yeah, I get it, Dan. I mean, that's how it was for me and like the N five C and and uh my seven hundred. But yeah. Mm.
1: I don't know. Hey, it'll be interesting. We will see. We all have to adapt. Is that it? Is that your week? That's it, man. Uh, Weather might be decent this weekend. We will see. I don't know, but I've also got some other stuff going on at work around the house, so it'll probably be another eight weeks until I fly.
2: (laughs) At least you're honest. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honoured to introduce to you Sir Isaac McSwashballs III. You have given your all upon thy sticks. You've fallen quite short, well, you flew like shit. Now at thy feet lay a pile of rubbish, get out thy tools. And don't be sluggish. What is this you say? Where are all my parts? To see her broken, it tears out my heart. For there is one man that will march through a blizzard. He'll get you your parts. The legend, the wizard.
5: Catch that wizard while you can at www.lowerhelly.com.
3: Well, I've had a uh, more exciting week than I initially planned on having. Um, I got to break news a little bit early just because my week revolves fairly heavily around it. <clears throat> but this week they announced that the three-digi flybarless was getting full-on integration with the Groppner system. Well, I had kind of had an inkling that this was going to be the case, just it was the only telemetry system out there with the capabilities, and so I was kind of thinking that I would try it out when when the time came. I didn't expect the time to come this week, so I uh, put on my salesman hat and... Sold some speed controllers and sold a five barless system and and ordered a new radio. Oh so, damn. Yeah, got around to it. Black Friday deal? Um, yeah, but it the Black Friday deal was kinda meh. I was getting the radio either way. I waited to see what their deal was. And I was hoping for even, you know, like ten percent off, but they, what they they threw in some multi rotor light controller thing that I'm not gonna use. So oh well. But I got the new Propner M Z twenty four Pro. So it's got the five thousand milliamp battery and it's yeah, it, it, it looks pretty sweet. I was looking at some videos. Nick, I guess the firmware is a whole new V two system that's different than uh, I guess what was on it when you had it. So Oh really? A whole whole new ball game. Interesting. But How much I, is it? Also, you don't mind me asking. Uh, it was four sixty, I think. And it comes with three receivers.
0: Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah,
3: two, two six channels and an eight channel, I think. But the six channels, I guess, can be used together, uh, kind of like Spectrum satellites. So you can, you can kind of right. put them in different locations because they're single antenna receivers. So I probably won't use one on anything bigger than a 450, but it's nice that it comes with two of them. That's cool. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to get my hands all over it and check it out. I, I'm really excited. The only thing I have a question on about this radio is the ergonomics. I've never held one. And I know it's kind of, you know, I don't know. I was a little leery about buying a radio I had never held. But at the same time, I had never held a spectrum radio before I picked one up and I made it work for me. I, I don't know. I adjust to things very easily. So I'm, I'm not too worried about Fit. I, I think it'll be fine. I wear a neck strap all the time, so I don't have to worry about actually holding the radio. You know, it's just about if I can find a place to put my hands. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you mentioned stick spacing, Nick. Uh, or not stick spacing, the switch. switch spacing. Yeah. Yeah, but I rip them bitches out if I don't want them there. So I'll find what switches I want, which is throttle hold and like maybe a bank switch, leave the knobs. All the other switches are coming off because I don't need them. I don't yeah. really need DR switches. I don't need this and that and that other thing. No, I, I hear like you. Three switches. So I just pull them off. That's my plan to deal with that. If it doesn't work out, if I don't like the way it feels. I had a new canopy show up today. I ordered, uh, it's like a pre-Black Friday deal. and It was pretty sweet. It showed right up on Black Friday. Uh, I, I was able to score a Kronos canopy. So it looks like I'm starting down that road too, because there's other bits and pieces I've got to order now to make the canopy work. But uh, yeah, it's really sweet. So it's a carbon fiber one, and I got it for half off. So I was super stoked on dude, that. Dude, it looks nice. Really? Oh, dude, it's nice. even better in person. It's like RCHN like colors too. It is. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Cool. I can't wait to. I can't wait. I haven't decided. I was thinking about it. It's. A lighter canopy it's a carbon canopy, so I was thinking about, well, maybe I'll put that on the nitro, but to mount the lighter canopy, I have to add like another set of canopy mounts and like another piece of carbon. I'm pretty sure it probably just cancels it out the weight <laughs> yeah, just the weight savings oh well, it looks cool that's that's the important part, right <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, oh, and then on the Grappner thing, I, I went full out on this. I, I, I decided if I'm going to do it, I'm doing it a hundred percent. And so I ordered a speed controller as well. Ooh. And so when the EXO gets here, which, you know, things are rumbling. Sounds like, I don't know, hopefully soon it'll be a winter build at some point. And the EXO gets here. Next winter. Uh, <laughs> I have, a, I have a new speed controller for it, and it's going to get a 3 digi in it. So, the first setup of that helicopter, from tip to tail, speed controller and everything, fly bar system, everything will be set up through the radio. Ooh, nice. No laptops, no Bluetooth, no plugging it into anything. Just freaking plug in the battery, do everything through the radio. That's gonna I'd be pretty this,
4: cool.
3: Yeah, I've been wanting this kind of integration for a long time, and the uh, speed controllers have built-in telemetry. They report voltage, they report capacity used. Yeah, so it's the it's the full meal deal. This is this is gonna be really cool. I dig it. And man. I ordered
2: some ordered some VTX blades too. So, oh, ooh, cool. nice! Yeah. Uh, didn't they have like a big sale? Did you see that sale on Blem's?
3: Yep. How uh, much yeah, were they? Uh, they they were all just twenty five percent off, and I just picked up a set of the six ninety sevens.
2: Very. Oh so, nice. yeah.
3: Looking forward to those. I um, it's going to give me a little bit more. I I have reached out to a couple people, and I've just read too. Um, I guess people are really liking their performance on nitros. So I could see I, that. I think I um, this is going to get me a little more excited to get uh the nitro finished up. So I'm I'm thinking I'm hoping the EXO build is gonna happen in December and so probably January for building up the nitro. But Sweet. Yeah, Sweet. That, that's pretty much my week. Did a lot of ordering. Now it's waiting. I don't like hmm. that feeling. I know. Next week will be a fun week.
6: When it comes to fly barless systems, there are so many on today's market, it can be very difficult to decide which one is right for you. You really have to look past the price and start focusing on other things like customer service, product support, and of course, features and flight capabilities. In my mind, the Spartan Vortex flybarless system ranks right near the top when it comes to these categories. Their product support and customer service is second to none. They are constantly updating their units to improve the flight performance and bring you more features. So when shopping for your next flybarless system, visit spartan-rc.com.
2: I flew. I got out last Saturday morning and banged some serious thinking flights in. Got about 10 flights in. Life was good. pretty, pretty uneventful uh with the exception i'm going to put this out there and i want to put the the warning that the 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 testing on it is still relatively new um, so there's my word of caution but if some people would like to try it we got a tip and have confirmed it with a couple people that in external gov mode all of you vbar users or Basically anyone that is flying a hobby wing speed controller in heli linear throttle, you should turn freewheeling off. Ooh. Absolutely. This came straight from them and there was uh Justin, I don't know if you were there. Were you there for that conversation? We were having an At our funfly, yes. Yeah, so that kind of little dampening thing they had on the throttle. All the brain guys were flying in fixed wing mode and all us V-bar guys were flying in heli-linear throttle because of the soft start thing. Yep. And um, apparently on the brain in heli-linear throttle, the response was just the gov was real saggy and it wasn't right. And it was because of something that they had added um, to like a dampening on the whole entire throttle. Well, apparently if you turn freewheeling off, It's gone and life is really good. I can confirm that I only flew it on one because I kept turning it off and turning it on and then turning it off and turning it on. And I did that flight after flight and I, yeah, there's no question that it is better with freewheeling off in the heli linear throttle. So that, that might be kind of the answer to, you know, people are saying, oh, I've still got a tail kick or whatever. Well, I've never, ever had a tail kick in heli-linear throttle. So I would be willing to say that for any of the uh, fly barless systems out there, if you are running in airplane mode, try this. Put it in heli-linear throttle and, um, yeah, turn the freewheeling off and more than likely any tail kick that you had on startup should be good to go and the motor uh motor start power parameter works and all that kind of stuff too so yeah yeah that was that was exciting it was really cool to hear um so thanks for everyone who's been working behind the scenes on that uh, so that was kind of my saturday i did uh they, let's see, my case and antenna finally showed up from Mikado. So, yeah, I'm going to be able to get the Nitro back going again. So I'll, I'll get that all put back together this weekend. Just need to swap out an antenna, And a case on the Neo, of course. And then that bad boy's all ready to go. Let's see, what else, what else, what else? Boy can't think of anything else that's it
0: any progress on the gasser
2: i have the tail servos now sitting here and that is the only thing i got all the tails all put back together the head's all put back together basically everything the boom's just sitting off because i got to mount the tail servo it's kind of cool with the with the v control i mean all the programming's in it is in the um, in the neo so i don't need to do Anything, literally just kind of bind it and bind it and go. Dan, what, what fuel have you been running on that?
1: And Nick, do you have any of it? Did he leave you fuel? Yeah, he did. Is it that, is the AMS or the AMSOIL Sabre oil? Uh, uh, That's what
0: I've been using, but I don't, I don't know how important it is to continue using that.
1: With gas or with, um. Uh, Coleman. Coleman. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Have not you rogue. run
1: any of them yet on gas? Like regular old pump no, gas?
4: I haven't.
3: Is no. there a performance uh, difference between the, the Coleman fuel and gas?
0: I don't I don't know. My experience think there was is.
3: no, and
1: I think if you talk to Carrie Shirley, he'll tell you the same thing. Maybe there's a little okay. bit, but I'm not sure it's noticeable by the average person.
0: Yeah, I don't think those those uh Those motors are designed to run on the higher octane. I mean, I don't think they, I don't think you notice anything because Coleman's at like what 50, 55 octane. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's low octane.
2: Really? Wow. Yep. Wonder if you could. Hmm. Uh oh. Nick's got an idea. (laughs) Uh oh. The mechanic just got an
0: idea. He's going to blow it up.
2: No, I'm not going to blow Some it up. nitrous
0: oxide in it. Runs like no. hell for 20 seconds and blows up. <laughs> yeah. <wha? laughs> look, I'm
2: Zabo. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Nope. That was my week. Sweet.
6: You guys all know me, and you definitely know what I look for when it comes to helicopters, and that is reliability. For several months now, in hundreds of flights, I've been flying the MSH Protos Max. I'm to the point where I have complete confidence when this heli's in the air. I know that the quality manufacturing and the amazing part support from MSH USA will keep this model at the top of my list. For those of you looking for a top-notch 700 or even an 800 class helicopter that screams quality and has an unbeatable price tag, look no further MSHUSA.com. Well, I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to start out with, um, you, you know, you guys may have noticed I created a new Facebook page, kind of the public side, right? Yes. Dan, C- Dan C- Reed mm-hmm. RC. Yeah, the, the hobby side. The hobby side. And so... <sighs> I'm a little surprised, and Nick, I want to know if you, you had some similar interactions when you, because you switched yours about a year ago, right? Yeah. Did you get anybody, like, dogging you, Think, like, like sending you emails, like, saying shit like, you. what, are you, you're too good for us? Yes. What the fuck is that all about? Just, I got to tell you, that pissed me off a little bit.
2: Just people being rude? I think it's just rude people. What? So, what?
0: I don't even understand that. Yeah, okay, you know so it is, The
2: context it, of that. What do you mean, are uh, you too good? Oh, I changed my
0: Facebook name. So here's the deal. Here, here's what it boils down to. So I, I have, and okay, so I have my personal Facebook page, which had been pretty much the catch all Facebook page for, you know, since I started doing the podcast. Sure. And, of course, that's grown to 750 or 800 people, right? Um, So that means every little thing I have to be completely conscious about that I want to post because I'm not only presenting it to my personal friends, I'm presenting it to listeners who are friends, but listeners of the show that I don't know personally and don't know me personally. Um, So I can't, you know, I wanted to create a separation And I kind of use the uh, excuse of this, all this political bullshit, which is, I'm not going to lie and say that that's not part of the reason because of all the shit that's been going on on Facebook. But as Nick will attest, this is something I've been talking about doing for months since like mid-summer. Yeah, yeah. he's been asking,
2: because you kind of had, you kind of almost had that same, at first, if I remember rightly, you kind of poo-pooed me for it too. Did I? Yeah, I think you did. I think you actually <laughs> said something to do, like, uh, 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 like in a friendly way. You were like, oh, so you think you're, like, a fucking celebrity now or something? You need your own... Yeah, because now, oh, he's a public figure. Oh, yeah, yeah, now you're a public figure, well, right? And that's, but it was... And, dude, yeah. I couldn't... I mean, me, it was just like, uh, hey, guess what, rest of the world? I have a whole life outside of the hobby, and I have family, I mean, dude, Facebook was like, I take, I probably take Facebook a little more serious than the rest of the people, because, like, I found, (laughs) and this is true, I found my family because of Facebook. I found half of my family that I did not know was my real family because of Facebook so and he's not uh, like guys who are listening to that that is not like
1: some profound like uh no nope. you know like poetry like he actually no.
2: found his like fucking I family. found my
4: fucking yeah, yeah like that
2: wasn't that there's no analogy there no sisters and brothers blood related yeah so you know and I enjoy keeping up with them and just my family and putting pictures up of my son but see the problem is, It's not, people forget that what you post, everyone else sees, right? And so Mm -hmm. it was just like, and because of the Facebook algorithm, I was missing all of this stuff that my family was posting because I was friends with so many other people outside. And I mean, a lot of these people that I was friends with, A, I couldn't even pronounce their name. I had never talked to them. You know, but it was all just because they wanted to see what, you know, keep in touch from the heli side. So that that's why I did it. But yeah, Dan, to go back to your original thing. Oh, yeah. I had well, people it, making snarky comments and that. And I was just well, like...
0: Well, you know, there was one person made a comment on the Facebook page, which I took as tongue in cheek. And it didn't bother me because that he, you know, he made that statement publicly. And, uh, you know, it's and it was not derogatory and it, but it, it was a little tongue in cheek and that's fine but like to take the time to send me an email a you know a private conversation kind of accusing me of that I was just like you know so, so it was maybe accusing you, don't belong you of on what
2: my... thinking you were too good yeah, for it's
0: them like, yeah it's like oh what, you, you know you, you, you you're you gonna cut cut us off the the Facebook you know, and just comments like that. Like, why would you do that? You know? And I'm just like, well, maybe, maybe you don't belong on my Facebook to begin with, if that's really the way you're going to look at it, because, uh, you know, and and it's not like, uh, you know, it's, it's for me, I don't know how you did it, Nick, but it's, it's not like it's an overnight process. There's a lot of people on there and I'm just going to slowly go through and, and uh, definitely make sure that those that I do take off my personal facebook or people that i have absolutely never met. I mm-hmm. would assume there's going to be a lot of folks who i kind of know through the years but maybe never have met but have gotten to know.
2: Yeah, oh, but, i have a ton. I mean, i still right. do that. If i've if i've had lengthy conversations with these people, you know, even if i've never met them. It uh, you know, they be beca- hey, guess what, marvel concept. We can have a lot of friends that we've never met. That's the cool part about it. And like these people are good friends to me. You know what I mean? But yeah, it it just, I don't know. Anyway, I I did it over the course of a week.
1: Some alternate perspective.
2: Sure.
0: Sure.
1: I have like 1500 friends on my Facebook, probably half of them I can't pronounce or have never talked to. But I personally don't give a crap because I don't, like I don't use Facebook for family stuff. Um, If I want to keep up with my family, I do so through other means, text, phone calls, FaceTime, you know, that sort of a thing. And so, you know, you'll see ever so often, I'll actually make a post that says, Hey, usually I do heli related shit, but here's a non heli related shit. Like when I announce that we're having a second kid or, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, So, uh, I, I,
0: well, yeah, that. and that's all fine and dandy, but I want to start using my Facebook. Uh, no, no, no,
1: I get that. I'm just, I'm just, you know, given the other side of the coin here. And, you know, maybe once upon a time when I first started Facebook, I thought that there may be some value in doing the family side of it. But the heli thing grew so rapidly that it's like, you know what? That, that is what it's there for. I don't use it for work or connections professionally. And so I kind of look at like transitioning to like a Justin Pucci RCHN and it's like, that's a big pain in the ass.
2: Well, yeah. And it's, you don't have the, you don't have the need for it. I was sitting there, you know, like knowing every time that I would reply or post to something heli related, I know that it's popping up on one of my family members' wall. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then if they unfollow, so whether they don't see all my heli stuff because I am fairly active online and in social media, then they miss the picture of you know me and Auden doing something or whatever. So yeah, in your case, uh, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even mess with it. But no, I get I- it. I know what you. Anyway, the
0: whole the whole point of it was it put me in a pissy mood. Not gonna lie. I mean, it's just like um, I. I'm just seriously. I mean, I just don't want to deal with it. So, yes, I am going to be thinning it out. And no, it's not going to happen overnight because I've been getting I've been getting messages like, "So has it happened yet?" I'm like, "Yeah, this is a
2: see, Dan. You you are yeah. I would just." Maybe it's it's how you worded it or what. I I would just... Uh,
0: I thought I worded it very cordially, to be honest with you. Yeah,
2: no, you did. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was too nice.
0: I should have just said, fuck all you all. Yep. That means everybody.
2: Yep. yep. And I still, <laughs> like, for the record, and I do feel bad about it, I get probably, you know, three or four people a week that friend requests me on Facebook. And if I don't know who you are, I just let it sit there. I'm sorry. It's not that I don't want to chat or have a conversation. I just, I really put a lot of effort into completely separating it. Um, It's just, it's just easier that way. And I love it. And you know what else? Here's another thing. It gives you an opportunity to rant if you want to rant about something. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you a story about an unnamed person that used to be in this hobby quite a bit that was very involved and had sponsors and decided to take a highly outgoing political stance in outspoken. every opportunity. outspoken. Thank you. A political stance in every opportunity possible. And at the end of the day, really affected his hobby. And I know, you know what I mean? A lot of people yeah. don't want to deal with that.
0: The, the simple one thing that that's really been, especially with this, all this shit that's been going on and, and the, you know, I don't want my personal thoughts to affect the podcast either. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, that's kind of one of the reasons I want to kind of thin it out and just post just have a, a podcast and a, a, a heli related Facebook side that that's just helly's and just podcast and 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 by all means like it if you will Uh, don't and don't take it personally if you find that it it is what it is I don't know I don't know what else to say about it but anyway to those of you who decided to take the time to send me an email and if you're listening to this thank you I appreciate it not really those of you who wanted to poke at me about it. Eh. I guess that's your prerogative. I didn't respond to any of them, so we'll leave it at that. Um, Let's see. Okay, back to the heli stuff. So, yeah, I flew today, actually. What? Yeah. Yeah. See, wow. here's, here's, so, okay. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. I spent the day at my brother's, and I came home, and I looked at the weather, and we're starting to get pretty cold uh, in the 30s. Today looked like it was going to be a little nicer, but there was a chance of rain. So I went ahead and charged up some batteries, thinking that maybe if the weather's decent. Hang on a sec. Anybody want a fucking cat? Go away. I don't know. I swear to God, I'm going to have cat soup one of these nights for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thinking that the weather was going to be decent, um, I woke up and it wasn't this morning. So I, I kind of put it off. I had uh, I had an appointment with a realer to go look at some some land today, and I I didn't I wasn't planning this was this was like completely like spontaneous uh, event. But I had the helicopters, I had the seven seventy and the five seventy in my car, and I went to take a look at this property. It's twelve acres, and I got out there and we did like an hour tour in the afternoon. And then I said, can I stick around? And I showed them the helicopters. I'm like, I want to get, I want to fly out here if I could. And they're like, oh, yeah, they wanted to see it. So, yeah, we got to, I got three flights in. Two nice. on 570. and So I kind of got to get a feel for <laughs> that particular property and whether or not it's suitable for flying, which it is, by the way. Although it is kind of close to the highway, uh, but there's a backside of it that goes over a river. So uh, plenty of room back there. Nice. So yeah, got to got to get some flying. It it had been a, about a week and a half since I'd flown last, so it's not. Uh, this the, is it too early to be saying I can't wait for summer? No, no dude, it's never too. I'm early already to say over I can't the winter. Summer. Jeez, oh, I just it hasn't even really hit here yet. I mean, we've been getting you know some cooler weather in the 20s a couple nights, but no snow to speak of. Uh, any snow that we have gotten, has gone away real fast. And I'm like, that's all I'm thinking about for, from multiple perspectives, from a heli perspective, from a motorcycle perspective. I'm just like, I want this shit to go away and I want it to go away now. So I think I'm in for a pretty long, brutal winter. But um
1: Dan, how often do you say like in the past, historically, how, how often do you get to fly during your winter.
0: You know, I mean, do you ever
1: really just shut it down and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'll see you in April.
0: No, I don't generally. I, I guess maybe the last couple of years I've kind of taken that mentality, but the first five or so years in the hobby, it didn't bother me. I mean, I just, I like, I don't, if it's sunny, I don't care how cold it is. As long as the wind isn't blowing and it's sunny, which typically in the winter, here, that is what our winters are. It'll snow, but then it'll there'll be a lot of sunny days, right? We don't get a lot of wind. Still cold as hell, you know. Big open clear skies, and it didn't bother me. I'd go. Um, I think as 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 the years go on, and I just despise being in the cold more and more each each year. It just it's like God, it's just it feels like such a chore to. To uh, put up with it, so yeah,
2: fair. I mean, I'm 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 kind of right there with you. Although, with our lack of sun over here, i I really feel pretty much unstoppable if the sun's out. I mean, it just gives you this really false sense of like I can do anything. Look at me,
0: yeah, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but what, well, oh, that's what you, dangerous. It's true. But I would
0: think, I would bet, though, Nick, if you lived here, um, even though it does get quite a bit colder, because typically our winters are, are, you know, snows for a few days, but then it's sunny. It's winters are pretty sunny here. Cold. I would bet. I would think that you would be flying a lot out here because of that. I mean, uh, the wind's not blowing. The sun's out. It's bearable. You know, it's not. It's Dude, not overcast what, and nasty. It's
2: not a temp thing for me. It's wind and rain. I hate the wind. I hate the rain because they're two, with the exception of you know apparently like growing stuff in the world. They're completely worthless. They offer me <laughs> no no remedy for satisfaction whatsoever. Wind and rain, nothing. Yeah, <clears throat> hate it Yeah, well, well we, yeah, we but have you no can, wind here.
1: You can you can fly a little bit in the rain and a little bit in the wind, but, but if the like temperature it. is low, dude, then either of those being present completely douches you.
3: No, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
3: Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I, got I mean, you, when so.
1: it's when it's forty out, I don't even need a transmitter glove on. High thirties, I will spend the whole day out there. The minute it starts blowing like 5, 10 miles an hour or sprinkling, yeah, I'm out. It's done. It's over.
3: Yeah, it's I mean, all you about and I in the past
1: flown in like the teens, Nick. I can remember we were out at Snohomish. It was like 18 and snowing. Yeah. And we were having a blast with yeah. our propane heaters.
2: Yeah, because it wasn't but windy and it wasn't, wasn't raining. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. It's the root of
0: all evil. Wind and yeah. rain. It sucks. There's that's no question. So I mentioned, I think it was last week, I mentioned we were talking about Possibly getting another heli. And I mentioned the, the 570, a second 570. Uh, Carrie Shirley got in touch with me and um, he's like, so 570, huh? He's like, you ought to consider. And I, I don't know why. I know that he had mentioned it months ago. But um, doesn't that, I, that sounds intriguing? A 570 nitro conversion? Eh? Oh, wow.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah, I I with,
3: hear they're a freaking blast with a 105
1: or dude 91? A, a 91 and a 570. What are we talking? 105. Holy
3: shit! It, it was described to me as as an electric that makes a lot of noise and smoke. <laughs>
0: yeah. See that? That would be, is that fantastic. Would kick ass. So I don't know. That's that's um. Not I'm not. I'm not real keen on going down the nitro road again, and and again, it's it's got nothing to do with it being nitro. It's got everything to do with the fact that the gassers have kind of scratched that itch. But that that sounds that sounds kind of fun to me, right? We'll see, we'll see what happens. Dude, um,
2: it, I mean, if you you have nitro stuff, oh yeah, I got all so, that. So uh, yeah.
0: I got pipes. I got motors. I got it all. I got all that shit. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I uh, don't think they're quite ready yet. Carrie um, told me he'd let me know when that happens. So, yeah, that's that is something that I am definitely considering this winter. That kind of kind of scratch that no flying heli itch. If the weather gets too shitty, then build another Uh, machine for the spring sounds like a lot of fun so that's kind of where i'm at with that this whole um this this this, uh, i'm still kind of in a funk over this whole facebook thing and i don't know it's i don't know why it's bothering me so bad but it's kind of kept me from (laughs) enjoying some of the interacting with people let's put it that way i gotta get over that i think
1: that's reasonable
0: yeah i mean you know a lot of people were very supportive and i it's not that i want to you know keep rehashing it but damn it it just it just sucked to get that that reaction. Should have prepared me better, Nick. <laughs> it's, your, it's your fault, damn it. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> I okay. Let's talk a little bit about because I got a question. Uh, because I was talking with a listener uh, about flying today, and they, and I told them I flew the seven seventy, and they asked me the question. So, what do you think? And I'm still kind of. I'm still kind of meh about it. It's like um, I still feel like the 570 is going to go up for the 770 at this point. Don't, oh, I don't. Really? I can't. I can't quite. <laughs> I can't quite pinpoint what it is. You know, maybe I need to start. Factor. No, it's not like, intimidating yeah, at thing. all. No, it's not a comfort thing. I, I I think. I think what I need to do is is start turning the head speed down on the 770 just to. I just, what are you? Fl- are,
2: are you flying it in like bank two? Yes, bank two. Like, oh, mother Jesus. Was. Yes, you definitely need Dude. to turn it down. <laughs> I got that bitch
0: spinning at like 1930 on yeah. 780s. So, <laughs> and, and you know, keep in mind, I've only got like, oh, geez, what is it? Six or so flights on it in total. So I haven't really given it a fair chance and I didn't, I'm just, I wasn't in the mood to, to dick with it. I just like kind of put it in the air and tried to you know, get an impression of it. But well, you know, when I get, when I get some time to actually, to mess around with it a little bit, I, that, that opinion might change, but right now I don't, I will continue to mess around with it, but I don't at this point see myself buying a 770. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, nothing wrong with the machine. It's just it's just. I much prefer the 570. I don't, you know, it's just, it's just a fact. It's just the way it is. Just the way it is. Yes, sir. All righty, well, maybe we should, uh, we got any news this week?
5: We do. This week's news is brought to you by superiority.com.
2: Let, actually, Sage has put up some news items. So I'll let him go first on a couple of them. And then uh, I'll follow up on the back end. So go for it, Sage.
3: Well, I kind of touched earlier uh, on the whole 3Digi thing. So uh, they have just announced that they've got uh, HOT, H-O-T-T integration, Graupner integration. Um, it They're not... St- they don't specify, but they're, they're showing the MZ24, um, not necessarily the Pro either, um, in all the examples. So I'm guessing it's the touchscreen Robner no radios that are going to be capable of this. I'm not sure all of them are. Um, but yeah, uh, the complete setup of the 3Digi can be done from the transmitter now. Uh, you can change all the parameter sets. You can change everything in all the banks. Um, yeah, it, uh you run your uh, bus cable and you run an extra cable that goes to the special port on the three digi, and it communicates just like it would over like Bluetooth or something. Uh, but it goes through the through the radio link. Um, yeah, should be pretty. Where cool. does it Where uh, does it
0: store the data at?
3: I, well, I mean, I believe all the data still stored on, is stored on the three digi. Nice.
0: So you can swap it out to another. Radio, if you needed to.
3: Mm. Uh. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the flybarless settings are stored in the three digi. So yeah, you could swap easily between radios. Yeah, that shouldn't be an issue. Cool. But it's not like it's. Uh, it would. I don't think it's. Kind, it's the same as like uh, the V bar control where you could just take your radio to different V bars and have it. Well, I. I mean, I guess you have the person whose V bar it is is set up right. It's all in the V bar. It's not in the radio at all there's nothing in the radio right so i guess it is kind of like that yeah everything's in the fly unit radio is just a dumb terminal that talks to it
2: yeah pretty much
3: but hey it's getting smarter it can do all this cool stuff now um okay so the other thing is aligns added again they've got another 700 700 lv2 700 and,
2: LV, now is this the one with the, is this the stacked side frame one? This, it
3: appears to have the same frame configuration as um at previously. So no, this is not the stacked frame one. Which this one was the,
1: that?
2: That's the 700X.
1: Yeah, that's the Dominator X.
2: Yep. Oh, what so this is like. Back to the old design, but then version two. This is a version two, yeah, what
3: of the, the f- non... They beefed up the main shaft, it looks like. Okay. Um, they beefed up some other shafts, uh, counter bearings. Uh, I can't tell. It looks like they have made the main gear a little taller. Got some nice stiffers, some frame stiffers.
1: Everything's red anodized. Uh-huh. Shapely
3: okay. frame stiffer. Yeah. But you want you want to hear the best part? I do. Happy
0: ending? Is it yeah. a happy ending?
3: Well, yeah. Dan, you might be surprised because using the new 700 EFL rotor head design, this helicopter has more excellent stability,
2: sex, and manipulation. Whoa! <laughs> it's We've, right there in black and white. We have cranked up the sex stability.
0: Cause, oh, wow. yeah. I, Excellent you know what,
1: stability, sex,
2: and manipulation. You know what is the worst thing possible? When you're pushing it real hard and your tail blows out.
6: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow! They really I need gotta, someone to proof these before yeah, they put them out. Yeah,
2: really. It's like, oh, someone needs to get fired
3: oh man oh
2: man what is manipulation that sounds like
1: a name what is a high pressure brushless motor
2: high pressure high
3: pressure Woo! yeah
1: oh no i'm sorry that's a brushless server
2: high
0: server (laughs) the
1: bl815h855h is the new brushless high pressure server oh
3: guys maybe that's what's been wrong with the the mp3 servers is they're not brushless We need to upgrade. (laughs) All metal CNC
1: cutting exquisite, exquisite cooling shell.
0: What the hell is that?
1: Highlighting the top server of the high texture. This is the worst (laughs) translation ever. This one is bad. Ooh, in appearance, the new forward style tripod, five degree design (laughs) with a new lightweight design of the hood showing a high-quality boutique. Power selected by the international tournament affirmation of the world champion motor.
2: I like this. The new tripod is lightweight and resistant to impact and is a five-degree forward dive design. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they put some rake on that mother. Yeah, they did. Holy cow. Yeah, it's like, whoa, you guys picked up on what we were doing Seven years ago. Congratulations. Oh, dude, this is
1: it. This was the one I I was waiting for this. I wasn't quite clear about what the head did after the whole sex and manipulation, but they really (laughs) laid on the line here. 700 EFL rotor head design makes the helicopter more excellent stability and a sense of control.
3: Okay, Uh, it's all clear now. Does that
0: mean it lasts longer? I think so. Oh, kind of like a...
3: Wow. Did you yeah, see they're using EFL unbalanced wing group technology?
1: <laughs> oh, dude. The motor is engraved right. with the word dominator proprietary
0: totem. Man, Are they just like grabbing words out of a source <laughs> and just kind of jamming yeah. them together?
2: Pick this one.
0: That looks like a good word. <laughs>
2: That's oh, a fancy man.
0: word. It's got three syllables.
2: I'm not gonna do no.
3: You know, I don't really care too much <laughs> about this helicopter, but I could read this all day.
2: I know. Hey, what fuck this mean? I don't know. I'll put it in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. I apologize. I couldn't help it.
1: <laughs> oh wow, the Microbeast Plus. Also yeah. enhance their seismic capacity.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, this oh is God. great! Thank hey, you, thank you, Eli. Earthquakes in flight are not a problem.
0: Earthquake. Is it just me, or do the bearing blocks bear a striking resemblance to KDE bearing blocks?
2: Well, everything on it does. That was the that was the ultimate. Cat and mouse chase game there for oh, years. Oh yeah, yeah. See here, a line got smart to Patrick's
1: game early on. They're like, "All right, guys, this is what we're going to do <laughs> right now." Version F of the model looks like a heli. It may actually fly for a few seconds. Let's put the rest of the shit in there, made out of crappy plastic, poor design, doesn't fit. Get it out on the market. Patrick will redesign it in two weeks. We'll steal all that shit
0: <laughs> and yeah. then release a V two. <laughs> we will have a V2. That cuts down on the design costs, that's for sure, doesn't it? Yeah. They still
1: do have that shapely frame stiffer,
2: though. I love that. That's the one that put them on the map right there. Yep. Okay. Well, I've got one last news item. Uh, This would kind of hit home. It's it's home for me. Uh, There's a company called 3D Miniature Engineering that is making a V Bar Neo cage. It's kind of cool. It's a little CNC aluminum. I saw this. And uh, ABS plastic. I mean, that's it really is. It's a cage for your Neo. So, and, and the way that they have it is that it sits all in there. And then the supports that are ABS that go back and forth to attach the top piece to the bottom piece that are made out of ABS actually retain the servo wires as well which I thought was a, a neat little feature. So you can now take this thing and peel it on and off your heli and the Neo's inside and you're not going to break the case on the Neo.
3: Which was, is so it's here, super nice and Mikado to allow somebody this opportunity to design something like <laughs> yes. this.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of where I was going, although I like your level of sarcasm better, Sage. Um, I I struggle with... This is cool. I mean, hey, necessity is the mother of invention, but why was there a necessity in the first place? Yeah.
2: It's cool. And I'm glad somebody's done it because a lot of people need it, but it's, yeah. I it's think it's great because it's, this is obviously a really small comp, uh, company, uh, looks Australian. Yeah. Um, Ooh, Justin, check this out. Uh, go on that website and then look at their X7 heat sink upgrade. That's cool looking. Hold
3: on, hold on. Oh, you got to start buying bling before you even have the helicopter, Justin. Yeah.
1: Yes. Ooh, that's sexy. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm going to need that to cool down that freaking 4035. I'll tell <laughs> yes. you what. It's going to be running grunt. 1300 RPM.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's
5: all I got for news this week, Dan. This week's news is brought to you by superiority.com for superior quality web and mobile development and design with a 100% money back guarantee. That's always on schedule and budget. Get the most from your website from www.superiosity.com or www.dudemanlarry.com. Not kidding. Check him out.
0: Everyone knows that I am not fond of changing things up. Something's working for me, I stick with it. Recently, I decided to try a new Rev Electrics Power Lab 8. And as you'll hear the guys on the show say from time to time, you just don't know what you don't know. The PL-8 is a powerhouse, and if that isn't enough for you, well, why don't you check out the Dual Power Lab 8? Now, the coolness doesn't end there. You want to get even more sexy? Go get your bump on it bump charging is the future don't believe me
5: well then you know nothing john listener find out more information at www.revelectrics.com so this week is a
0: learning week for me because we're going to talk about setting up and i'm assuming at some point maintaining your workspace your (laughs) heli workspace
2: Maintaining, Dan. Maintenance is key. (laughs) Maintenance is crucial.
0: I don't have a problem setting it up. I have a problem maintaining its integrity. (laughs) Yep. That's where I run into issues. So let's get going on this. So how do you, uh, let's see, you've got a list of stuff you've got here. How do you want to tackle this, Nick? Well,
2: we were talking about, you know, getting uh, or... Kind of once you really realize that you're committing yourself a bit to the hobby, uh, being smart, you know, as far as maybe bol- uh, buying some stuff in bulk uh, to save some cost and where to get that stuff from. And so now it's kind of like, all right, you know, I'm, I am at the point where uh, this is how I see it. I am working on my helicopters on my wife's kitchen table, which I have gotten yelled at probably more than a handful of times for. But you don't really have uh you know, maybe you don't have an entire room that you can go dedicate to this. Or maybe you're at the point where you're like, well, maybe I should do that. Am I I mean, am I really that far into this hobby? But there is Something to be said, and Justin knows this because we were just kind of talking about this. His his tinker to flight time is is changing and he's going to have more tinker time. And And when you're in that sort of situation, maybe you live in an area that has long winters or whatnot, you're going to spend at some point, or maybe you want to, or you're realizing that you have to, spend some time in front of the workbench working on helis. And, you know, we, Dan, you and I, we're, pretty blessed. We have trailers that are hobby rooms and all that kind of stuff, but that's not very realistic for everyone. So what I kind of wanted to talk about was the transition from I have a 450 or I have a, you know, a blade or a 500 or something to now I I actually need a space to work, a dedicated space. And so I want to get your guys' opinion on You know, if you were going to set that space up from scratch, what do you think is the minimum size? And then I also want to talk about uh, some of the tools that we would put in that space right off the bat um, to help make our life easier in the long run, like little things that we've thought about, uh, lighting, uh, power tools, parts organization, that sort of a thing. So, um, Dan, what do you think is the the minimum size that you really need to work off of comfortably?
0: Well, thinking back, thinking back to the beginning, um, because I started with bigger helis, so I didn't really, I needed space to begin with because I started with a, you know, a 600 or Nitro 50. And um, what, what I found, what I found and I still like to do if i'm working indoors uh, you know like in a spot in my house i think just a a smaller uh folding table for minimum size is is perfect but i need to i need one extra item and what i use is one of those um i guess they call them tv or tv tray trays ten dinner trays you guys know what i'm talking about tv there? dinner mm-hmm. trays yeah yeah, and see, and the, what I use that for is because what I what I what I was finding was, you know, you're working on one side of the heli, and everything's fine and dandy, but then there comes the time when you got to flip that that bastard around and work on the other side, and it's that whole process where you kind of pick it up by the head, and you kind of lean back, and then you tilt the boom back, and you're kind of watching to make sure you're not hitting anything on the shells above you, you know, and you get get it turned around, and you get it put. You know, so you, you're working on the opposite side. Well, I would use one of those fold-up trays so I could put the heli kind of in the middle of the room but yet not take up a permanent spot in the middle of the room mm-hmm. so I could easily turn the heli uh, to, to work on either side of it. Because my big issue, the reason I decided to go with a trailer was because uh, hauling all of that shit back and forth really got kind of tiresome. Of course, once you have the trailer, everything's great and and you've got tons of room. But as far as minimum size, I, you know, and now we're not getting in any, not talking about any organization stuff, but just workspace size. I always got away with just a small, and I don't know what, I don't know what the dimensions are on those two, two by four feet. Uh, You know, I'm not sure what they are, but. Oh, the. The fold-up ones, like you get a Walmart.
2: Well, I think you know, those are six
0: foot. But you can get smaller ones. And yeah. I have the smaller yeah, ones.
2: Yeah, I have a four foot.
0: And that's like perfect size. For someone who's very limited, you know, as far as... Obviously, if you have room, bigger, bigger is always nicer. But I started with that and it worked really well. That didn't include any figuring out you know, where you're putting the tools and, you know, what types of containers. And we've all gone through that. I mean, that's a huge, constantly evolving at Sears, you know, at whatever, Walmart, you're looking at the fishing tackle boxes and the, the boxes, trying to figure out what's going to work there. But as far as size goes, that that's what worked for me.
2: I'm going to go, I like the the eight foot folding table. Yes. I really like that idea. Like to me, that's ideal. And why? Because I want to put some stuff on top of the table that will ultimately kind of make it a little bit smaller. And I'm gonna go I'm gonna go one step further and say that most people, and I'm trying to be, you know, most people don't want to commit to the point of screwing something on the walls in your house. Right, so let's say you're you're renting or or, the, or you're in an apartment, and that's just not an option. What I would do is I would get a folding table, and then uh, assuming you have some access to some tools and you're maybe a little bit handy, I would actually create a little pegboard back for that folding table. You can pick up the folding tables cheap. And then if you just get some half inch by one inch uh, wood, you can screw it right to the back of the folding table. And then what you do is on the sides, um, you just run a couple of those down at an angle to the table on the sides to give it a little bit of structure. And now you have a little four by eight table with some pegboard on the back. I'm You're,
1: a- you're talking about making like almost like a uh, one of those ready to build workbench things yeah. that you can get at like Home Depot, but you're doing a DIY version.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, Hey, it, and here's why I, those, a lot of those. And, and yes, if your space is a little bit smaller and you've got the money and you don't want to screw with it, those things are pretty sweet. It's like a little workstation. station. Uh, from what I've seen, most of those are a little bit small. They seem to be in that four to six foot range. And I, I'm just a big fan of the eight foot. Um, I'm also a big fan of white pegboard uh, because, and we can get to this in a minute, lighting is crucial. I mean, crucial, crucial. And having this structure now that you have kind of built on there, you can get a little bit creative on the top and have a spot to hang Uh, You know, run a couple boards that just hang off there. None of this has to be too crazy. If you understand your, you know, your building basics and use the concepts of triangles, you can actually make something pretty darn strong out of, of relatively lightweight wood. We do not need two by fours or even two by twos to do this at all. You've got a spot to hang a four foot plug in fluorescent shop light. That right there over a white table with white pegboard will be probably the single best thing that you have spent on your hobby in a long time. You know,
0: I ahead. would take I would take it once st- I I I would actually not even one step further is not the right word, but I would emphasize that a si- even the size of your workspace I think lighting is probably the most important aspect. Of a good of a of a comfortable work area, yep. Because it completely it completely like if you have bad lighting, it's almost like you can't even get yourself in the mood, nope. right? To to build a helicopter to work on a helicopter, nothing beats good lighting. Any nice few. bright. Here's lighting. a little
2: trick. I mean, I still do this to this day. If you are going to, maybe maybe this isn't an option, and maybe maybe the kitchen table is your spot. That's just how it is. That's all you have. You have a really small apartment and this isn't an option and you just put your stuff out on the kitchen table. Go down to Walmart, buy a cheap white, big, huge beach towel. Bone white, all white. Lay that out on the table. And just the difference between a wood tabletop and having everything on a big white towel that will show you how important lighting is a difference because it just makes everything brighter. And if you can get that on the walls and some good light up above, and it just, it changes everything. And, and we're still only talking, you know, doing the pegboard and the table and all that in there. If you have, you know, skillsar or, or anything, you can do all of this just by hand too. You're not even into it 50 bucks yet, 60 bucks, maybe. So uh, as far as, you know, getting the basics of it, that's that's what I, what do you think, Justin?
1: For tables and work areas, I mean, yeah, I think you guys covered the basics and, and how to get into something relatively simply. Obviously, it's a step up from your you know, your kitchen table or something like that. And, and I happen to have a number of tables that are very similar to that, you know, folding tape. You can go to Home Depot. You can go to Lowe's, get like a plastic folding table, something like that. That works perfectly fine. Um, or you can go with the heavier duty work tables like you're talking about and add pegboard to them. Uh, what I think helps a lot is counter space. And this kind of sort of starts to bridge the gap to the, the space that you're in and how big it is. And I know we're, we're going to get there, so I'll hold off on that. But generally speaking, one of the most efficient ways, I think, to make use of any space that you have is to have counters and shelves. And pegboard is part of that as well, kind of like a shelf. And so, um, you know. You can go to Home Depot and get cheap countertops. Uh, you know, sections of countertop that start at like four feet long and go all the way up to ten or fifteen feet, not with any crazy designs, just the the regular white, whatever that what's it called, melanite or me- melamine, Mel- melamine. There you yep. go. Okay, so you know I've got a ten foot one, and it cost me like twenty three dollars at Home Depot. And then I went a little bit further and I got actual like hardwood cabinets to put underneath, but you don't need to do that. All you need to do is get some, you know, something as simple as like uh, cardboard boxes or small plastic shelves that you can buy from Home Depot just to prop it up on to get started. And the really nice thing about the counter space is unlike a typical table like you guys are describing, It is, it's not quite as deep. They're usually two to two and a half feet deep, three feet at the most, but they're long. And the benefit to the length is that you can now have multiple stations where, you know, on the far side, I'm going to, I'm doing some soldering. I got some connectors I got to put on the batteries. And then over here, oh, well, I'm wrenching on the nitro because I got to pull the engine and, you know, blah, 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 whatever the situation is. Um, and, and that's something that a table space, even a large table in general, doesn't afford you. So counters to me really transform the space. Um, the other thing I would say is taking the concept of a table to the next level. And this is sort of the, the more recent thing that I've done. It's been about a year, year and a half now. But what I did is I built up a rolling table in the middle of my workspace, and it happens to basically be two back to back. I'll call them like uh, you know work workbenches or woodworking tables. So it's eight feet long, and then each table is two and a half feet wide. So you snap them together, and now I've got an eight by five table. They, they're on lockable casters and you can move it around in one piece to get, you know, different parts of the room or, you know, uh, overhanging lights, move it in a direction where the lights are in the right spot. And, uh, you know, that to me makes a really big difference. It's like a little floating island, if you will. And I use that in combination with the countertop to do different things nowadays. My helis get worked on almost exclusively on the rolling center island and all of the sort of um, little bits and pieces, the finicky stuff gets done on the on the countertop soldering, um, cleaning fasteners, uh, you know, anything that has to do with glue or epoxy or. Dremeling, all of that stuff gets done away from the rolling table so that the heli space is clean and ready to go. And I can fit two helis, one on either side of the table with a schload of room. Full 700, 800 size helis. They don't hang off the back end. It's got shelves underneath it, so I can put stuff there. Uh, I I think it makes a huge,
2: huge difference. Yeah, if you have the space to commit to it, then that's I fantastic. Mean, yeah. Then, <laughs> it's it's like, then for dream. sure. But you're, I mean, you're committing ha- yeah. half or, you know, at least a quarter of your entire garage. My
1: it. entire garage is, is mine. Okay. Well, to give you perspective yeah. a two car garage, deep two car garage. It's all helly shit.
0: I don't know how important it is anymore. Cause I noticed that I certainly don't use it, but back when I was doing nitro, I found that I was using a hobby vice a lot. And if you are going to go down the plastic table route, that's one thing I don't like about them. And I don't yep. know how how many people are using yes. using hobby vices these days. I use one and and I hate. I mean, that's one thing to keep in mind when you're putting your table together. Are you going to use a vice? And if you are, make sure you have a very solid <laughs> surface.
2: Yeah. That's the downfall. Like those, those plastic tables, like, you know, they're awesome because if let's say all of a sudden, you know, landlord bails or whatever, and you got to move, this thing's going to be relatively easy. You can go and pull all the screws, screws out from like your little pegboard back that you made and unscrew the top from the table, fold the table up and you're good to go. But you know, you sit up from your chair and and whack your leg on the bottom of a plastic table and like everything is going to fly and move <laughs> because they're just they're much lighter weight. And right. if you were going to build something on a plastic table like that, I would definitely encourage you to invest and get as sturdy and as strong a one as possible. But, you know, yeah, I would much rather have a wood one, but, you know, we're, we're kind of it just depends again how permanent are you kind of going yeah, sage what I, about you well my
3: my build space for a long time was just a plastic table uh, we lived in a really small little place and uh, i had like my heli area was literally like four feet by eight feet and in the corner i had crammed one of those plastic folding tables and I mean, it was kind of a job to get in and out of there because it was, cram- it was crammed in there between some shelves. And so it was a very solid, it was solid to work on. But it was also a pain in the neck because I wanted to use it, you know, whenever I'd want to take it to a fun fly or something. We've since moved into a, uh, the, our new house and I my shop is much better. And it has a standing workbench, which I... I really prefer anyway. I stand all day at work. Uh, I work at a computer, but I have a standing desk. I just, I would much rather than do that than sit all day long. So a standing workspace at home is really good for me. Uh, I, it's, it's easy to work on. It's about three feet deep by five feet long. I can easily put a 700 on it. It's not a problem. I like fit too deep properly, but easy to work on one. Um, It'd be a pain in the neck if I didn't have a Soko because I wouldn't like to be swinging blades around on it. But oh, good it, point. It, but at the same time, you know, Justin, your, your solution great for that, but it's, it's kind of almost, it's ridiculous if you have a table or a bench that's deep enough to, to swing a 700 blades around on. I mean, it, it makes putting things against the back of that bench harder to get to. It's just not as it's not as usable. So I don't I don't personally see that as like even a a realistic goal. Yeah,
1: well, At least not see, for me. See that that's the thing. I mean, on the on the rolling island, I can absolutely swing an 800 around without hitting anything because I'm in oh, the yeah. middle of the room. Right. A- yeah, and, and that's really and The cool. deal is that I don't keep my tools on that table. I keep them on the pegboard and. And, uh, and the various toolboxes and drawers in the countertop and in the cabinets.
2: Yeah. See, I've thought about making out in my shop. I have, uh, I have a four foot by four foot and I made it out of like four by fours and then put a big quarter inch, uh, thick plate steel top on it. And it's my welding table. And I mean, the table itself weighs a couple hundred pounds, but, and I thought about that, like, you know. I should just do like a maybe a you know like a, a six foot long or something like that you know rolling table because I mean how cool would that be maybe you have the a spare room right you only have six feet of wall space but you could pull it out from the wall and then you know have put it in the middle of the room and then get all the way around the heli the problem is. Like, to make it structurally strong enough to where you don't have to worry about it tipping over, you need to get the wheels out far to the edge of the table to get it stable. But then with all of that structure, it's hard to sit at it with a chair and get your knees and legs under the table. Because, like, I can't – you get what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of hard to have uh, – Hard to have your cake and eat it too. On that, yeah, I, mean, I guess because yeah. it would be cool. I mean, to it have bears like...
1: mentioning my my rolling table is a standing table, like you said, Sage. It's not. I mean, I actually have a chair that, uh, a rolling chair that is like three and a half feet tall, so I can actually right. sit at it if I want. But it's at it's a lot more comfortable to do standing. And so what I'll do sure. is I'll roll it into place. And then I've got like the little foam pads that you put down that, you know, they kind of interlock like puzzle pieces. Yep, that way, when you're standing for a long period of time, you're not standing on solid concrete, in my case, in the garage. And it's a lot more comfortable.
3: Yep. I've got those exact I mean, same Nick, things. You, you've my bench. seen
1: the rolling table I've oh, yeah. got, right?
2: Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that is a, if you have the space, then I think Justin's got the right approach. Like, if you have a more of a square area, 10 by 10 room or something like that, do shallower countertops or benches around the outside and then get yourself a nice uh, island or something in the middle. I mean, that's the. That's the ideal creme de la creme. I mean, like I can't do that in the trailer because it just doesn't work. We need to walk through there. It's not wide enough to do that. But if you have more of a square space, don't just stick like one four by eight table. And it's all yours to play with for, you know, maybe you have a room where it's like, I can do whatever the hell I want in here. Oh, man. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I would definitely do some shallower counters all the way around and then make your island in the middle and. Little bit bigger, and uh you know, I think I dig that that's the way to go, but that's committing to a, a whole lot of space, too. I mean, not many people have that much,
1: so well, and that's that's another good point on the space. If you know, it's it's sort of like have space, we'll fill it, yeah, that's the way it works. Oh, yeah. So you got to be careful there too, because if you you know you get get yourself moved into a space, and you're like, yeah, I'll be fine with the corner of this room. Bullshit! That whole room will be hellies in another six months.
2: Yeah, yes, it will. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, organization because that's one that I like, and I have to go along with your plastic table. I will highly, highly recommend. You can pick them up, Walmart, Target, all your regular big box stores or whatnot. They are about three or four drawers high. Uh, these little plastic rubber made roll around slide out clear shelf unit thingies. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I know you guys know yep. what you're talking about. Um, I highly recommend them. I mean, I highly recommend them. Why? Because, again, if we're going for the temporary workspace, they're cheap. You can throw parts in there. You can see what's inside of them. Um, And they're really easy if you need to reorganize or move around. You know, they just roll around. Now, the downfall of that is if you have a, a really slick room, you know, or like a really hard floor, they're going to be kind of scooting around a little bit um, because they are on wheels. But I've been using these, and I absolutely love them. I personally don't have any of the wheels on them. I just pop the wheels off and let them sit there. And what I like about this is then I will take the little, clear, small separator parts organizers And those just go inside these drawers and all my nuts and bolts and connectors and all this kind of crap are now inside little organizers inside these drawers. And then really all I have to do, I pick up that and I will take one of those three or four drawer things. I'll just take the whole thing to a fun fly. Just grab one of them. And that's what I used to do. That was my routine. Grab one of these things, put everything that I needed in it and just boom, take it to a fun fly, pop it right down next to my fold out table to fun fly. Well, and
1: for you, Nick, you also I mean, you use them throughout the freaking trailer. Yeah. So it's it's almost kind of modular. Like you could just as easily grab that out of the trailer and bring it into the shop.
2: Yep. If it wasn't screwed down, but the, okay. Well, yeah. Fair. Okay.
1: Yeah. The ones <laughs> the in the trailer po- point are, being that it's a, it's a pretty modular setup. You it's can, an
2: inexpensive way to get good organization. And, and you know, like in a four by eight table situation or a, whatever they are, three by eight or whatever, you have plenty of room to your left and your right, you know, when you're sitting down working in the middle and it just works out great to have one on the left side, one on the right side, You really don't need more than, you know, than two of these things for the average, average hobbyist. I mean, you know, I just, yeah, I can't see because you can get them in pretty, pretty darn good sizes. So that's, yeah,
1: see, I, I go a slightly different route. I, um, I buy, and I know you use similar stuff here, but I buy the individual plastic cases. They're kind of like shoebox size.
2: That's what I have right? in the in the in the cabinet in the trailer. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I just have you know twenty or thirty of those, and then I went to Home Depot. Actually, I think it was Costco one day a couple of years ago, and bought a bunch of those modular plastic shelf systems. Mm-hmm. It's like five shelves. It's like six feet tall. Uh, you know they can hold like a hundred pounds per shelf. And I basically lined the walls of the garage with them. And, you know, among other things, one or two of them are fully dedicated to just being filled up by these individual shoebox type things. And each shoebox has a label on it for whatever it is. You know, Goblin 700 parts, Goblin Speed, Diablo. I've even got a stickers shoebox because, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm that big of a sticker whore. Um I've got a miscellaneous electronic wires shoebox. I've got, you know, motor winding stuff. And I mean, just all sorts of different stuff, but it's all nicely organized. You can see through it. So when you're really lazy uh, and you also don't take organization to the next level within the shoebox, you know, you take a step back and look at it. The shoe boxes are all in the right place. They look organized. You look inside the shoe box and it looks like a damn bomb went off, um, especially my SAB one. I can just pick it up, lift it over my head and look to see if I have any of the thrust bearings that I need because they are inevitably laying on the bottom of that case. So yep. it's it's really useful for that kind of stuff. And then for little tiny things like connectors or screws, I have like the, the multi-compartment things, kind of like for fishing lures, like you were talking about, Nick. Yeah. Um, and then those can go inside a shoebox, multiples of them. And when I'm ready to go to the field of the fun fly, I just say, okay, well, what am I bringing? It's the Diablo and the NX-7. Okay, grab those two shoeboxes grab the miscellaneous hardware shoe box, done.
2: That's what I would call stage two. I think stage one is like try and do everything in a, in your eight foot table area, if you're gonna work out of that, you know, storage underneath to the sides and all that. But once you hit that point where it's like, I need more room, I, I did exactly what Justin is talking about uh, downstairs in my basement and it was awesome. The big plastic shelf, the clear plastic shoebox size things, and you can pick those up at Walmart for like I want to say they're like a dollar fifty each for those plastic shoeboxes. Oh yeah, they're shoe cheap boxes. as hell. And like, buy like twenty of them and just start stacking them up on that shelf. But y- yeah, you you have to to need that space. Tanner Sage, anything to add there?
3: I do things a little bit different. I don't have a the same type of system for taking everything to fun flies quite as modularly as you guys do. Um, I have a big, it, it's kind of, I don't know if you've, if you've been in any old machine shop or anything that you've seen a, a cabinet just like this, but it's just drawers. It's probably uh, three and a half feet tall and it's got three drawers across and like 10 drawers down. And uh, it, it, all my hardware I buy generally in bulk or, at least quantities of more than one, and they always come with a nice labeled bag or something. So, all my hardware, uh, you know, size-wise gets put in different drawers, but, you know, length-wise, uh, I guess size like like uh, diameter-wise, M2, M3, gets divided up that way, and lengths are divided up in the bag that they're in, clearly labeled, uh, and all my tools go in one drawer. And when fun fly time comes around, I grab that drawer and I empty it into a, like a kind of fabric pouch thing that I have. And, and then all my charger and all my stuff goes into a small, you know, medium sized plastic tote and everything goes in the car from there. But it's always kind of a hassle to unpack everything and stuff because I don't know see. It, I it could be more organized for when it comes to that kind of stuff. But w- when it comes to working inside the shop, it's it's really handy. Everything is right where it needs to
0: be. See, that's the that's the thought process. It's like, what's the goal? Is the goal to to create a working environment that is suitable for working on a helicopter in your house all the time, or is it a goal to create some type of system that is very that kind of serves both purposes? Do you just go ahead and put all of your tools into a uh, like you did you like you used to do Nick with the uh, big box right the big fold out box that you just pack back and forth it's like this this is everything i need for the most mm-hmm. part minus you know some other you know maybe your soldering iron or some other stuff that generally you wouldn't take to a fun fly right but do you you know you make it so it's easy to get what you need for a fun fly in and out without making it a big hassle. And that's something that, you know, I haven't had to deal with for for a long time. Obviously, you know, with the trailer, that just, that just, that totally evaporates that, that issue. But I just remember when I was working, you know, I did set up a place here in the house. It's like, that was the worst part of working in the house. It was getting the items that I wanted when I went to the field and not having to re-unpack re, re unpack and pack and pack and, you know, reorganize every time. And that's where the stuff like the, like the toolboxes, that's, that's, that's what I like. That's what I liked when I was in that situation. As far as having these, these uh, Tupperware storage stuff that works great for me now, but it didn't work great for me in the beginning because I wanted to be able to quickly grab and have, not have to transfer contents, but just keep the contents in a portable storage unit. Yep. You know?
1: Yeah, and you hit on a good point, Dan. And I think, I mean, there's more than one way to do it on that. I mean, between Nick and I, I swear we have tested every form of rolling portable tool storage box. Seriously. You choose a brand, and I'll tell you, one of us, if not <laughs> yeah. both of us, have owned it. And I always go back to, and I'm very happy now with where I am, individual containers. Because it is more modular. I I find that when I have a big toolbox like that, just kind of like, you know, have space will fill it sort of a thing. It's going to end up being 50 pounds. It doesn't make a difference what I have or don't have to put in it. I'm going to put all sorts of shit in there. So having, you know, I've got what I've uh, taken to, you know, in the last two years are these little waterproof equipment cases. It's kind of like a Pelican case, but not nearly as expensive. And I got a small one for all my tools. I can't fit a lot in there, so I have to be very selective about what I bring. Um, I've got a little bit larger one that takes my radio and some miscellaneous fly barless tuning stuff. Um, I've got a medium sized one where my charging system is. All of that goes with me and it makes it so I never have to take any more or less than is absolutely necessary for the specific trip that I'm going on. I don't have to cart around all the nitro shit with me in my big old rolling toolbox because that's where it's located.
2: I agree. I, I, yeah, Justin hit it right on the head. I kept trying to do the coolest mobile setup known to man. And in the end, it just ended up being a big, huge pain in the ass. And I finally said, you know what? Yeah, no, I'm just going to leave everything in the shoeboxes. Grab, you know, and I have a shoebox in in my taller cabinet per heli and it's great. I grab, uh, well, so I have a shoebox for the big parts and I have a little, like those little tackle lure type deals for the smaller parts. If I'm going to go to a fun fly and I say, okay, well, I'm taking the, I'm just going to, you know, drive there in the truck. I'm not bringing the trailer or nothing. Or if I'm going to commit myself to driving far for a day of flying, uh, okay, I'll grab the 570 and the 380. I go grab the two shoe boxes for those for those helis parts. I grab the two small ones, and then you know whatever else I need. And it's just easier that way.
0: Yeah, and it gets more complicated the more helis you have. There's no question.
2: Yeah, I really hate. Going through each little thing, you know, okay, I got to make sure I have this and throw in it. Pretty soon, I have this one box, oh shit, and then when I get back, I never manage to to put it back. You know, yeah, it takes forever to separate it.
0: It does, and I, I don't know about you guys, but back when I was hauling out of my house into the truck, inevitably, every time... I brought way more shit than I ever needed.
1: Oh yeah. Yep. And that and if- was that was the trick I was gonna say. You know, don't bother picking up the shoeboxes. Unless it's a multi day fun fly where you're willing to commit to wrenching, leave that shit home, man.
0: hmm Especially if you have more than one heli. If you've only got and if you only got one heli, then it's easier anyway. Yes, exactly. It should be. It should be easier anyway. If it's not, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you're you're way overthinking it.
3: Uh, my fun fly life got way better. I made I made a rule for myself, and if I can't buy the parts from Ken to fix my heli, then I'm not fixing a heli at a fun fly. I'm not. I I just I can't be bothered. I like like you were saying, Dan. It's what are you trying to do. I like to work on stuff at home. I'm not trying to have like a mobile setup and be able to take everything with me. If I can't buy the parts to fix my helicopter, just don't do it at a fun fly.
1: Yeah, I think the only way it makes sense to do it is if you've got something like a trailer, like Nick's got. Then, I mean, you're bringing the whole damn hobby with you anywhere you go. So sure, wrench, no big deal but for people who don't have that don't even waste your time And you
0: want to know the cool thing about it? Especially if you go to if you if you consistently go to a regional event there's always going to be somebody that does bring all that shit. You know. And for the most part people are willing to let you use what you need to get stuff done. As far as tools go. Yep. You know, and we've talked about that in the past too. It's like do you do you really need to bring your soldering iron? Mm. Unless you know you need to solder some batteries, I would say no. (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Because if you need to use one, somebody's going to have something there that they'll let you borrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just, you gotta, it's tough. You want to make sure, you're like, oh, I gotta make sure I have anything I could possibly need to maintain my weekend of flying. But at the same time, you can really put a lot of undue stress on yourself because then you're like, I don't know what you guys, but this, I used to do this, head into a fun fly and you're 50 miles out and all you're doing the whole, you're driving and you're going through a mental checklist and you're just trying to think of the shit you forgot, you know, and then pretty soon you're like, oh, sure enough, you always remember something You, you forgot. Don't worry about it. Bring your helis, bring one or two of the main, maybe a set of blades, you know, the obvious stuff somebody's gonna have what you need
2: yep absolutely agreed
0: so what else we talk what else do we uh, do we want to talk about about uh, I setting to up quickly and using-
2: we got a listener question we got to get to here but I want to talk about tools and, and not ah, so much drivers tool. yes tools ah. tool. not hand. so much about drivers you know hand tools but I think there are a couple tools that are very worthwhile to get early on. You'll save yourself a lot of hassle. Uh, One that I would recommend, and this I guess kind of goes back to why I like that three by eight table, is that you don't really need all three feet deep of it or all eight feet long, but now you can start setting some of this stuff. Get yourself a nice power strip. I highly recommend the ones that are like four or five feet long from like Home Depot or Lowe's. With USB ports on them? Yeah, they have them with USB ports on them now. Because how often are you sitting there and you don't have your phone playing some music or something like that? And then what's really cool, here you've got your pegboard, right? Get yourself a couple of those, uh, the little screw hooks. So now, put this power strip out there, plug some stuff in, and put some of those hooks on the end of the table or up on the pegboard, and like plug in, leave your Dremel plugged in and most of the Dremels have a little hook on the back of them to hang them so you can leave it hung there. Um, Invest in... So, uh, this, this is my opinion. I am a two soldering iron person. I believe in having two soldering irons. I don't think they have to be fancy, but... I like having two because I don't like swapping soldering iron tips. If you're okay with swapping tips, then then go with one. But I have one soldering iron that is sitting there. It's uh like an 80 watt one. Just sole purpose is for battery connectors and motor bullets. And we're talking a tip on that, some bitch. I, I don't know, quarter inch wide or i don't know 30
0: ounce six bullet
2: (laughs) yeah big big tip on there if you are struggling getting connectors soldered and you're new uh this is uh, wattage is one thing but you have to be able to transfer that heat to the bullet and the best way that you can do that is with a big ass soldering iron tip big time So, and then a personal recommendation of mine, maybe we'll see if everyone else has one. I've got two real quick. Get yourself, go down to Lowe's or Home Depot. I have a Black & Decker one. It's a 7.2 volt. It's, It's a little girly drill. But the cool part is it has a clutch on it. And it is amazing. Pick up a couple tips, just like a two millimeter and a two and a half millimeter tip. And then that, that is my drill driver and peel a frame side off, pop the two and a half one in there and just,
5: I'll
2: get, you know, bang out all those frame screws all in one shot. And then when you put them back in, you can adjust the clutch on it. They're cheap. It's like 25 bucks. Love it. Use it all the time. Uh, Is it variable speed? Like, does the drill go as fast as you pull up the trigger?
3: Yeah, it okay. Because I've had a hard, had a hard time finding a variable speed one. I yeah. just keep finding these like single speed ones.
2: I, okay. uh, I'm not sure, but you're gonna make it mine wrong. is a variable is,
0: speed. Because I have the same one well. you have, Nick.
1: Okay, I okay. can set it can at
3: on low and
1: on high, and then within e- either of the two speed settings, it's sensitive to how hard I pull the trigger.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a big one. And they don't need to be fancy. They don't need to be swappable batteries. Um, and again, since you have your little pegboard, they make uh, holders just for the drill. So you hang it up right on the pegboard, leave the battery charger plugged in right there. Awesome. My second tool that to me is whenever anyone sees it, they're like, oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing ever. Uh, you can go down to Harbor Freight and it's either a three inch or four inch. And no, I can't remember. I think it's a four inch variable speed grinder okay so we're, we're talking like bench grinder it's got the two wheels one on either side one is a hard stone the other side is kind of like this porous hard brush type material and that thing is amazing it's got a dial right on the front to adjust the speed and it's just a little guy and it came with like a Uh, You could screw on the side of one of the wheels. It was almost like a Dremel attachment, but it was a pile of crap and it was sketchy to use anyway. So I just threw that part away. This thing was about 20 bucks, 22, 23 bucks, somewhere around in there. I've had it since I, almost since I started the hobby and I use it for cleaning my soldering iron tips. I don't know if you've ever soldered a female motor bullet and got, Piles of solder on the outside of the bullet because you were a little you filled up the cup too much on the top and then stuck that ten gauge in there. Give it a quick trim with a pair of side cutters and then I just use the brush on the on the the grinding wheel brush. Spin it up fast and like that smooth solder out, no problem. I mean, you can use it for taking paint off of a tail boom if you want to ground your tail boom. It stays plugged in. All the time. I am constantly, constantly using it. Uh, Smoothing out cut surfaces is perfect with the brush too. I just, I I love that thing. Absolutely
0: love it. What do you guys think? Mine is the cordless drill. I got three of them. A cordless drill. I have to have a heat gun because I fucking hate using a lighter. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And I also, Nick, have a small hobby grinder wheel like you've got. Um, I think I got mine at Tower Hobbies and it was like 30 bucks. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's mine's actually smaller than yours. Oh, wow. Uh, but those, I agree. Those, right off the top of my head, those are the three power tools that I use the most. I'm sure there's a few others, but those are the big ones for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with the. The uh, power drill as well. That one's a no brainer. I mean, it makes things so much easier. Um, the other thing is my trusty butane uh, soldering iron. I love it, it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it'll do anything from small servo wire joints all the way up to full on, you know, eight and 10 gauge connectors if you know how to solder correctly. Um, my Third thing, I'm going to go ahead and say my third thing is, and this is going to be a funny one, my drill press. And the drill press for me comes in handy in a number of different ways. Not only can it be used as a drill press, right? That's great. Uh, Making sure you get nice, uh, precise drill cuts because I like to do a lot of custom stuff. And so oftentimes I'll look at a design and be like, no, not going to happen. That sucks ass. I can do better. So I just start popping holes in it and threading them. And the drill press makes that a lot easier than doing with a hand drill. The other thing that the drill press can be used for and that I use it for all the time is getting motor KV uh, because I like to know exactly what the KV of my motors are. And you can do a you can do that math with a simple handheld digital multimeter and a drill press. And then the third thing is it can actually be used as a regular press press. And so I can use it to press out pins or uh, motor shafts when I'm replacing motor shafts. I oftentimes do swaps of my speed motors between airframes to try to get the, you know the weight or the power optimized. and so, You know, between SAB and Henselit and Diablo and all the rest, they all have different and uh, unique lengths required for their specific pinions. And so, you know, having a a handful of motor shafts on hand and just being able to press them out and put a new one back in makes it really easy.
2: Yep. I love all these things. Just, I mean, sitting I personally like to have as much stuff stay plugged in as I can. That's why I like those big, long power strips with a whole bunch of stuff. And then I just, you know, I'll I'll make a little zip tie, even if I have to make a zip tie loop on the back of the tool, you know, and then right down the sides of the bench, I just put lots of little hooks and everything has its own little hook to hang there. And, and I just, I feel like when you sit down at this workspace it's, it's nice, it's bright, you have that light, you can see everything and it's like, oh, I need to do some soldering and you reach up and you turn your soldering iron on. That's hanging there ready to go. And then, oh, I need to do this and everything's just right there. It, for me, it just makes the whole experience so much better. My last little tip is do yourself a favor, almost Every hardware store, auto parts stores are really good about having these. They'll have some sort of, you know, one foot by two foot or something, little nut and bolt organizer. Now they're open top, no cover over the top. It's for like wild, and and they're usually kind of a rubberish or plastic material. Uh, I know like some... Uh, craft stores will have them for like doing beads or something like that. Get yourself one of those. And then just a little bit of double-sided little four little pieces of double-sided tape 3M on the back of it and stick it down over in the corner of your table. I love it. When I take stuff apart, being able to, you know, take all the frame screws off the side and put those in one little area, then pull all the skid, you know, skid bolts out and put those in the next little thing. It makes a. It makes just working on helis a lot more efficient. But if you need to, um, if you need to get up and leave and then come back, or if maybe you tore that heli apart, but you're you, you know you're ordering parts or something like that, now you can set the heli off to the side, and you don't have all these screws all over the bench. It makes working on multiple helicopters a lot better.
6: We have always had awesome support from our local Northwest companies, and Progressive RC is no exception. They've been with us since nearly the beginning and continue to support us year after year. David and his team are working hard to constantly bring you guys the best chargers, connectors, power supplies, and of course, his all-inclusive charging cases. So when it comes time to upgrade that charger or stock up on connectors for the winter, Head on over to ProgressiveRC.com, where we know the quality products and service will speak for themselves.
0: So we have a listener question. You got that ready to roll? I do. All righty. Let's go ahead and uh, roll that bad boy, and we'll see uh, what kind of stuff we can make up at the end of it.
4: Yeah, this listener question is from Chad Carlin. Here we go. Alright guys, first I want to say thanks for everything you do with the show. I really look forward to listening to you every Monday morning. So I have a few questions on servos. Over the last year or so, I have had close to a dozen servo failures that have caused my helicopter to crash. I have gone through tons of money just trying to put my helicopters back together. You may remember a year and a half or so ago, I had my 700 size helicopter hit me at a fun fly in Alabama. I do not want to go through that again. It was not an enjoyable experience. On that helicopter, I had $50 servos. Those servos went through that crash, other crashes under my control, were sold to a second person have gone through many crashes with that person as well as hundreds of flights. Those servos are still on the factory gear set and are functioning perfectly. So why, if a $50 servo is able to go through all that and is still working, but I've had many failures on servos that cost twice that or more do I want to go out and spend 180 to $200 or more per servo is the value in that cost strictly from the QC or what are the other things that are causing that price to be so high if it's in the QC can I just check them when I get them are there certain things I need to go over what do I look for What should the solder look like? Should the wires be glued down to the board inside all of them? Is there enough lube on the gears and shafts? With nitro coming back are there other things that we need to pay attention to with servos? Obviously even the perfectly running engine is still going to cause some kind of vibration that we don't see in an electric helicopter could nitro be pointing out these issues maybe you know a a weak solder joint without those vibes it would never fail even though it's weak but a nitro could be pointing it out how much of a difference do those rubber grommets for the mounts make should we verify that Every servo we use on the nitro has the wires glued down inside it. What other things can we look for?
2: I'm going to stop him right there. I think I kind of get an idea of what he's going at. He's getting pretty. Definitely getting down to the nitpicky, huh? Yeah,
3: I mean,
1: well, there's a we lot we, of could, points, we could do yeah.
2: an entire show on this topic. Yeah, we could, and that's why I kind of stop it because I don't. I mean, to answer every last little one, he, here's my big red flag, and this one's like way red flag. I would be willing to bet that I probably put in a fair. I know Chad; I know he flies quite a bit. But, you know, we all get our fair share of flights in as well. That many servo failures, in my personal opinion, one of two things. You are doing something very severely wrong consistently, or they are not all servo failures, and you think that they are. Which, for the record, that's probably my guess. I've flown... All, I mean, I'm not going to say every brand. I have flown a lot of servos, man. I mean, a lot. And I have had, since I started the hobby, so we're talking going on, what, Justin, eight years? Something like that? Yeah, I guess uh Eight, eight, eight years thousands and thousands i can count on one hand and that's a stretch the amount of servos that i've had fail nitro electric big small you name it
1: i will throw my hat in the ring on this one as well um same thing one year less than you 7 years and uh i i've I don't know that I've even ever had a servo outright fail. Have I retired them because I've noticed that I've, you know, it's not been functioning well. Yeah, maybe once or twice, but I've got servos now that have thousands of flights on the multiple sets over the last three to five years. So, yeah, Chad, I mean, you got a lot of great questions And we can certainly hit on those um, either now or, you know, in more detail on another episode. But bottom line is, man, if you've had that many failures, we got to dig into some more details here before we even start answering questions like, should we put rubber grommets on a nitro or, you know, QC, that sort of a thing? There is something fundamentally wrong. If you are running into that issue, especially if, and I, and I don't know, maybe you guys heard it. I didn't hear this in the description, especially if that is on multiple models.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it is. on
1: electric. That's on nitro. Is that, is that what I'm hearing?
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. He's, he's man, had there's... just been
2: plagued and
1: it's, I mean, how can you torch a servo really quick without getting into too much detail? You can over voltage it, yep. Right. Couple of us have probably seen, you know, the the random one-off a line six ten back in the day when people still were worried about going above six volts. I mean, I ran them at eight point four for years. I think you yep. did too, Nick. But uh, you know, we talked to a couple of people who uh, ran them at eight point four and had the motor burnout, literally just stopped, never to power up again. Okay, so that's one way to do it. Typically, it's a pretty catastrophic failure right happening in flight you're going to lose control all hell breaks loose Uh, the other way you can do it is if you uh, damage the wires which i think you touched on chad Uh, and that gets back to assuming the quality of the solder joint and the strain relief which is usually like the glue or adhesive is good then it can only happen if you are you know physically abusing the servo Third, third main thing that could occur is damage to the internal circuit board. After all, this is a stepper motor style approach, right? It has a control system in it with feedback and all that is a bunch of electronics on a little tiny circuit board. And that circuit board is stuck in the servo uh, at the base, dealing with all the heat and all of the, the stresses and such on the case. So that's possible too, but again when we talk about these kinds of failures, we're talking about one, maybe in two or four or 5,000 flights, Mm -hmm. 12 or more in a couple of years. I don't, I'm not sure where to start.
2: Well, I think there's, I think there's one thing that really needs to be realized. And this is Helicopter design and servo horn material plays a huge role here. I mean, huge. I can't even stress that enough. I have had models like, uh, l- let's say, T-Rex 700. All, all, about all of you guys have owned one of those. Dan, I know you have gazillion flights, many, many crashes. I never wiped out a servo on that. and Why? Because it was push-pull. Because the linkage gave popped off or broke first before I ever got any of that force back down to the servo. Uh, Same thing with the E700. Man, no slop on those servos. And that thing went in, seemed like every 30 flights because I was so hard on it. Again, never had a problem. Never stripped a single servo gear. Now comes the T-Rex 700 electric around with the direct to swash and I put metal horns on it and I killed four servos in one crash. So, you know, direct to swash. It is way harder on servos and you can darn near better plan on breaking a lot more gears than that. Now you have to compromise with the servo horn material. You know, I've had servos that the gear sets were stronger than others and took a harder beating where they, maybe they wouldn't strip, but you'd get slop in it after a crash. I got to tell you, since I went to the SAB horns, luckily on my 700s, I have yet to have a servo fail, you know, and, but I break those horns. I'm not going to say easy, Never had a problem in flight, but I'll break them on a tip over. But that's fine with me because I'm just putting, you know, just putting horns on it. So you can't, I think what Chad's probably experiencing. (laughs) And, you know, it depends on how you crash. I'll be honest. (laughs) If, If you're up there and it just rolls over to one side and drives itself in. You can't and you walk out there and you have a dead servo, you can't automatically assume that was the that was the problem, especially if the crash is really bad. You know, and I think that might be what's happening. The pattern that I'm seeing is in flight failure. And it almost seems and Chad, don't take this the wrong way. I'm just trying I'm really trying to get to the bottom. It seems like it's being blamed on a servo more often than it might actually be happening. Does that seem fair?
1: Well, un- unless he's got confirmation that after the crash, a servo is dead.
2: But how do you not but know that that's not from the crash?
1: It's he- it's true. Well, and, and again, I mean, it's a fair point, Nick, but then I got to go back to what you were just saying, which is how many times have you crashed typical, not even high quality servos? and you don't destroy them
3: so i mean, I've I mean I, plenty of gears but
1: not uh, yeah i mean me servos too. you know how i drive them in i've never killed a servo
0: and i've Ever. had servos actually give me a little bit of warning
2: i think that's i gotta i'm, I'm gonna go with dan on this one i feel like that I have gotten, in most of my dead servo cases, I've only had like two in all of my flights fail to the point where they caused a crash. Now, I've had cyclic servos, should I say. I've had probably three tail servos die in flight. Um, But in hindsight, almost every single one of those gave me some sort of warning ahead of time. Like yeah. they, they just start something's not weird, some catchiness in the gear set or some random twitching on the table or whatever. Uh, I feel like I've I've had warning. So I agree, Dan.
0: I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever experienced an in-flight servo failure. I've experienced in-flight uh, belt crank failures. Um I've actually you know, stuff like uh, I had an S bus come on bus <laughs> cable come out. I mean I I just I you know and I for a long time flew very inexpensive servos. I was flying Hyperion servos for a long time. They were like forty bucks, right? And uh, you know, back to the those uh two Alliance seven hundreds. Those were the the aligned six tens and the six twenties at 7.4 volts. I mean, yeah. cases and cases and cases of nitro fuel. Um, Is it a, again, we're just kind of stabbing at the dark, at dark here. Don't, don't take, but is there something in the building process? Maybe, is there a chafing wire? That, that kind of, the chafing the
2: wire thing really makes me wonder because I, you know we we've joked that Chad can he can take this with a grain of salt I know he's a good sport. this boy puts him in. I yeah. mean he 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 flies a lot and he crashes equal equally a lot And so that's kind of what makes me wonder is that is are there pinch points or chafing points? Uh, that are getting missed. Justin, the one that pops into my that, head was... That
1: happened to me on my NX-7. You and yep. Jesse were there. And we caught it, luckily. Yeah, just in time, too. Yeah,
2: like, just barely in time.
1: Yeah. Now, and that, in that case, it was not... There's nothing wrong with that servo. Once I figured out it was that I had chafed the, the power wire and it was grounding to the carbon fiber frame... I went in and put some shrink wrap on it and we're good to go. I, you know, flew perfectly fine afterwards. But yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I, I kind of wonder, but let's, let's go. Let's, let's put that aside and let's see if we can't. Yeah. I'd like to get everyone's opinions on, you know, his direct question of do we think that, you know, how is cost uh, related to the reliability? I, I think in general, this is my opinion, that there is a bit of a relationship to QC. Well, there's a very direct relationship between QC and reliability. The ones that have the better QC are going to be more reliable. They seem to last the longest. And unfortunately, they do seem to be generally the most expensive. Now, I know there's going to be people that are, I've got a, these set of $50 servos that'll last me for. Eight. Hey, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that I feel like you can go buy, you know, if you were to buy a hundred of brand X over here, buying a more reputable brand that. Uh, unfortunately seem to be on the higher price end of scale you're gonna get a higher percentage of servos that are good out of that you're gonna have the less random ones that die that's kind of my opinion
1: yeah i i could go both ways i don't believe that QC alone dictates reliability. I think design is a far larger aspect of that. I mean, you can have a amazing quality control system, but if you got a shitty design, it's not going to be reliable, plain and simple. It's not going to last, you know, that sort of a thing. Nowadays, honestly, my belief is that pretty much any of the servos out there are good enough for what we're doing. Um it, you know, you pick a brand, it doesn't freaking make a difference. utaba MKS, JR, BK, uh what else do we have here? Um you know, even even the aligned servos, Savox. Experts. Experts, it doesn't make a difference. It all comes down to you know, what color do you like better? What features do you like? All of them pretty much have the same features, with the exception of a few. And how much money are you willing to spend to fly that, you know, that that banner or that flag of the brand that you like?
0: Mm, they are. I'm gonna disagree. I, I I don't know. What do you think, Dan? I, th- I think. Um, I think you get diminishing returns as the price goes up. But I also think reliability is a function of pilot skill okay. because the better the better you are, the harder you're going to push them. When you're pushing electronic components harder, they may have a tendency to, to not last as long. So maybe those guys do need to get higher end servos. Or crashing but, them
2: more frequently. Or crashing
0: them yeah. more frequently. Yeah. You know, I personally, I, my personal flying style, I can get away without having to buy really expensive servos. Um, yeah, that was
1: implicit in my statement. I'd say 90% of the people out there can. Yeah. Right? I mean, these people that are on their second heli and their first 700 and they go and buy MKS X8s. No. Why? Yeah. Ridiculous. But, but why not? I, mean, I got uh, to say they're freaking the sexy this... as hell. I did it because I could.
0: Right, exactly. Not because I needed them. Right.
2: Yeah, I like right. Dan's answer though. Why not though? If you can afford it. I mean. Right, but people shouldn't feel like that's what they need. No, 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 no. Have. But I think, I think there are, I'm going to disagree with Justin. I think that every servo brand has characteristics and traits. Some of them are you know, would be in the highly reliable category, but generally not as powerful. Uh, other brands might be, um, you know, uh, maybe they're they're both highly reliable and fast and powerful, but, oh, my God, you got to, you know, sell off a kid to buy them. Then there's minute, others that are crazy fast, crazy powerful, uh, you know, uh, they're inexpensive, but they might have more reliability issues. Yeah, I mean nowadays,
1: dude, I guarantee you, we could go and look at any brand out there and find from low to high price a full range of torques and speeds. I yeah. I, I mean I've looked at this recently because I've had people bug me about it. I really don't think there's a lot of difference. I, I mean, you know, you're right. There are some that play better with some fly systems than others. I get that. I mean, there are some that uh, are ultra, ultra fast or ultra, ultra torquey um, that maybe one, but, you know, Futaba's got some fast shit and MKS has got some really torquey stuff. And and if those are the applications that you're looking for, then certainly you're going to be predispositioned to purchasing one of those brands instead of the others. But I, I really do believe that for the typical heli pilot, you can choose whatever the hell you want, and it doesn't make a difference.
3: Yeah, I, as I long as it like...
1: is torqued to the right level, and it has the right torque, and it's got the right speed for the model size you're flying.
2: Now, would you take it apart? I mean, would do you ever take them apart, check them, do anything like that?
1: Do I take them apart?
2: Yeah, like Chad was asking, should he be popping the backs off of these, checking, soldering, checking, you know, trying to do a... If you want,
1: you can't hurt it. I mean, unless you're doing something really stupid. Yes, I've taken mine apart at times, not just because I wanted to see what it looked like, but because I was doing something else. And that's perfectly fine.
3: I understand where he's coming from, feeling like he's having all these servo issues. But at the same time, I come... kind of over here sitting and thinking about if I felt like I needed to take off the case and inspect it, I wouldn't want to buy that brand. Exactly. I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like I should be shit. able to <laughs> yeah. buy a servo. I should buy a servo and the servo should work. Yeah. And I yes. shouldn't have to spend an arm and a leg to do it. I mean, I kind of feel like for the most part you hit us damn you know, was saying diminishing returns, you hit a certain point and you're paying market. You're just paying for marketing. Yeah, re- realistically, w- with these servos that that we're we're putting on model helicopters to fly around, it, at it, some it, point
0: it, you're 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 paying for a servo that looks good in your heli, so you can be at a fun fly with the canopy off, and people can walk by and go, "Oh wow, look at that! He's got X8s in there."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most most of the servos now, speed and torque wise, I don't think you're going to be feeling a difference, but. Uh, Then again, okay, (laughs) to play devil's advocate, I haven't also hit myself with my own helicopter.
0: That's true. So, I mean, that's a fair
2: point. (laughs) Big, big deal. And that brings a
0: whole new element into it for somebody to have that concern. Yeah,
2: yeah. But to be fair, Chad, even taking that into consideration, I honestly personally feel like your failure rate is way too high um if those were all one brand i would probably not fly that brand <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. whatever brand it was if for I'd, no I'd other like reason some
1: feedback from him because we've posed a lot of questions to him yeah so chad you got to get back to us man yeah get back is... to us because
0: you know you know what we can do and, and chad thank you for sending that question in because obviously you know at we're we're not giving this question the time it probably deserves because of uh the you know where we are in this particular show. But I think if we could get some more feedback from you, we could actually probably do a whole show like Justin said on this. Yeah. You know, and actually really kinda delve into that whole topic. Because uh, I you know, we probably I could imagine Chad's listening to this going, hey, I really don't feel like you guys answered my questions. But well, I don't think we, we were given it enough time to fairly uh, to fairly kind of go through all of those questions.
2: No, I just uh, want him to be open minded. That I know I I'm not trying to discredit his his concern for having X amount of servo failures, but I, I want to be. We uh, need to look past. Yeah, the I want servo. him to statistically understand that the likelihood of those being all servo failures, like of just flat out bad components, like bum luck is very 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 low there's yeah there is in in my opinion more going on that you might be missing or that is happening you know so yeah
0: yeah well dude thanks for sending that in we appreciate it
2: yeah and let's i think we'll keep up on that one because i think it's a really good topic especially from the safety portion of it um you know, I, I'm trying not to get any, you know, I don't want to roast any specific brand or praise any other, but I think there's a lot of really good general things that can be learned from this.
5: Yeah.
0: And on that note, I think we're going to wrap this one up because damn. <laughs> Windbags. Windbags. Before we do that, though, let's do some emails. Nick, if I needed to get in touch with you, how would I do that?
2: You would send me an email to nick at com or catch me on Facebook at NickLenRCHN.
0: How about you, Sage? Uh, you could
2: send me an email at sage at
3: rchelionation.com, uh, S-A-J-E, uh, Sage Marvin on Facebook or uh, Razor Sharp on the forums.
0: Justin? You
3: could
1: catch me at justin at rcheleynation.com or Justin Pucci on Facebook or the forums.
0: If you needed to get a question to Jesse, you could do that at jesse at com, and uh, respectively Jesse Solomon on Facebook. If you have a question about your shirts, uh, citizen registrations, anything like that, send those to Ken at I'm Dan. You can reach me at dan at rcheleynation.com or on Facebook at Dan RCHN. Oh, yeah. Yeah Um, Let's see Any other quick announcements So OHV is happening here In the next couple weeks
4: Oh yeah
2: Good luck to those boys They're going to have some fun Uh, Yes
0: they are Wish we could make it Can't do it this year Maybe next year Who knows Alrighty guys This has been episode 258 we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. See you next Monday. Sage, will you wiggle my wires? Oh, geez. Oh,
2: my gosh.
1: Wiggle it!
0: <laughs> wiggle it!
5: <laughs> this has been a production of RC Nation LLC, and is brought to you by BK Designs. Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Revelectrics USA, Lower Heli, Superiority, and MSH USA. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email.